and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and tonight I want to look at this passage of Scripture concerning our ministry here at Spooner Baptist. And I know we have a number of visitors here tonight, and we have a number of our folks that are, are gone, uh, couldn't make it out uh, in the weather, been too cold, some are sick, and so forth. But uh, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, give this message here tonight uh, and challenge those of you that are here uh, with the ministry that we have here. Uh, if you're uh, visiting and you're from another church, of course, you can certainly apply uh, the principles of these uh, verses to your ministries that you're a part of as well. But uh, down through the years of my pastoral ministry, I have used 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 to be my ministry verse. And you've seen it at the beginning of our PowerPoint presentations uh, for some time now. And I've wanted to put an emphasis on this portion of Scripture, not only in relationship to my own ministry, but the ministry of this church. And tonight, as we close out this year, 2017, and look forward to another year of ministry, the Lord willing, I want us to examine this portion of Scripture and remind us of the work, the ministry of, that God has given to us. But we need to go for, back, before we look at verse 4 or 5, uh, we need to go back and look at verse 1 and see the context of this passage before we get into verse 5. The message could be said to be topical rather than expositional or verse-by-verse preaching, but I'm going to certainly go verse-by-verse in this particular passage here. I'll include some exposition uh, of of this passage as well. And so we want to look at this passage and see how it can be applied uh, to us as a church in the coming days. Notice, first of all, preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. How did did Paul preach the glorious gospel? Well, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I want you to notice, first of all, faint-heartedness. Faint-heartedness. It says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we faint not. I want you to notice, first of all, the word we. Therefore, we have this ministry, and we faint not. Paul was addressing the local church at Corinth, and it was not his ministry. Uh, It was the ministry of the Corinthian church. It was God's ministry uh, through that church, and Paul was preaching the gospel boldly. And so it is with Spooner Baptist Church. This is not my church. It's not your church. Uh, This is our church. This is God's church. And we have this ministry. Paul was considered, uh, considered the greatness of his calling and he, it gave him heart to face 
his difficulties. But the preacher must not only uh, be the one who speaks boldly. Uh, This is a ministry of God that he has given to each one of us. And sometimes we lose heart because we do not consider how great a calling that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Now the idea behind the word that's used here or translated faint is that of being faint-hearted or to be weak or to fail or to be weary. The word has the idea not only of a lack of courage, but of bad behavior and evil conduct. Uh, It was Spurgeon who said, the preacher should either speak in God's name or hold his tongue. He said, my brother, if the Lord has not sent you with a message, go to bed or go to school or mind your farm. For what does it matter what you have to say on your own? If heaven has given you a message, speak it out as he ought to speak, who is called to be the mouth of God. Now that's not just true for preachers, that's true for every Christian. God's given you a message, and he has. You hold it in your hand, it's, your, it's the word of God. Then speak it out boldly. It's true for preachers, but it's true for all Christians. We dare not be faint-hearted. We faint not. Now, secondly, notice the receiving of mercy. Receiving mercy. Paul preached his gospel humbly. He knew his glorious calling to ministry was not due to his own works. It was as we have Receive mercy. Mercy by its very nature is undeserved. Mercy. We have the mercy of God. They're new every morning. And I trust that we realize what we've received, even though we don't deserve it. Thirdly is craftiness and deceitfulness. He goes on to say, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Paul preached his gospel honestly. The word deceitfully is a verb only found here in the New Testament. It's the only place in the New Testament you find this particular word. It means to dilute or adulterate. Paul didn't preach a concealed gospel, renouncing the hidden things of shame. He didn't preach a corrupted gospel with craftiness and deceitfulness. He didn't mix the message with human ingenuity and water down uh, accommodation to his audience. Paul preached an honest gospel. And many preachers will fail at this point. They have the true gospel, but they add things of human ingenuity and wisdom. Often they add these corrupting or diluting things to the gospel because they think they can make the gospel more effective or they can give it a greater hearing. But they're doing, they're still doing what Paul insisted that he would never do, and that is handle the word of God deceitfully. Again, I quote Charles Spurgeon. He said, certain divines tell us that they must adapt truth to the advance of the age, which means that they must murder it and fling its dead body to the dogs. 
which simply means that a popular lie shall take place of an offensive truth. Craftiness speaks of a cunning readiness to adopt any device or trickery for the achievement of ends which are anything but selfless. And we find this going on across our nation all through many, many churches, trying to water down the Word of God, trying to make it more palatable for the hearers, trying to trick people into hearing it. Craftiness and deceitfulness. Fourthly is the manifest, manifesting the truth. He says, but by manifestation of the truth, Paul preached openly the true gospel. Anyone could look at what Paul preached and see that the openly revealed truth of it. And then fifthly, commending ourselves. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience. Paul preached a gospel of integrity. Anyone could look at Paul's gospel, his ministry, judge it by their own conscience and see that it was full of integrity. Some men might attack Paul by their words. Some might attack him with their actions. But Paul knew both his ministry and his message found approval in the conscience of every man, even if they would not admit it. And then sixthly, in God's sight. In the sight of God. Paul preached the gospel before God. It was important to Paul to know every man's conscience would approve his manner of ministry. But it was far more important to know that what he did was right in the sight of God. Someone has said there is a higher scrutiny than that of the human conscience. It is to God that every minister of the gospel is ultimately and eternally answerable. Paul would later in this chapter reflect on his sufferings. In fact, uh, in these first two verses, he has made it clear that he has not suffered because he's been an unfaithful minister of the gospel. It would have been easy for Paul's enemies to claim, well, he suffers so much because God is punishing him, because he's unfaithful. That wasn't the case at all. So we have the preaching of the gospel here, and what Paul says is important concerning this ministry of preaching the gospel. But notice, secondly, the responding to the gospel. Responding to the gospel. Why don't more people respond to the gospel? Why do more people, we might wonder that sometimes, why don't we see more people responding to the gospel, coming to Christ? Well, notice, first of all, our hidden gospel But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. If people do not respond to this glorious gospel, it isn't Paul's fault. It isn't the gospel's fault. But only those who are perishing miss the message. Someone has said the blindness of unbelievers in no way detracts from the clearness of the gospel, for the sun is no less resplendent because the blind do not perceive its light. It is hid to them that are lost. And someone as well said this, according to this text, he that believes not on Jesus Christ is a lost man. God has lost you. You are not his servant. The church has lost you. You're not working for the truth. The world has lost you, really. You yield no lasting service to it. 
you have lost yourself to right, to joy, to heaven, you're lost, lost, lost. It's not only that you will be lost, but you are lost, lost even now. So if our gospel be hid, is hid unto them that are lost. So what is hiding our gospel? Well, notice, secondly, the God of this world. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. In whom the God of this world, the title God of this world, is not used of Satan anywhere else in the scripture. But the thought is expressed in a number of other passages. We'll not take time to look at them tonight. But this is a significant and real sense in which Satan rules this world. Now, not in an ultimate sense, certainly, because the Bible tells us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, Psalm 24, verse 1. And yet Jesus did not contest Satan's claim to rule over the present age in Luke chapter 4, because there is a sense in which Satan is the popularly elected ruler in this age. Now, the satanic world... Sovereignty is in fact seeming rather than real. It's something that is not real, but it's seeming. For God alone is King Eternal. We know him as immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. It is the devil who is called the God of this world because he ruleth over the greatest part of the world and they are his servants and his slaves, though we nowhere else find him called the God of this world. Yet our Savior twice calls him the prince of this world. And so what does the God of this world do? Well, he blinds minds, the blinding of minds. Whose minds the God of this world has blinded? Those who are perishing and for whom the gospel is veiled have been blinded by Satan, the God of this world. It doesn't mean that they're innocent victims of Satan's blinding work. Satan's work upon them is not the only reason they're blinded. John chapter 3 verse 19 says, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And though men love the darkness and choose the darkness, Satan still works hard to keep them blinded to the glorious gospel of light and salvation in Jesus. And we notice also that it's the minds of the unbelieving which are blinded. Of course, Satan works on the heart and he, the emotions of the lost, but his main battleground is in the mind. Can't we see a strategy of Satan in working hard to make people think less, learn less, and use their minds less? This is also why God has chosen the word of God, the word to transmit the gospel, because the word touches our minds and can touch the minds of God of this world has blinded. And so we come fourthly to unbelief. It says, which believe not. Satan can only blind those who do not believe. If you're tired of having your mind blinded by the God of this age, then put your trust in 
in Jesus who is is and what he has done for who he is and what he has done for you. And then Satan can't blind you anymore. The God of this world is able to blind only those minds of the unbelieving. Refusal to believe is the secret and the reason of blindness that happens to men. That brings us to the light of the gospel. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. To see this glory is to be saved. And so uh, Satan directs his energies into blinding us from ever seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Understanding Satan's strategy with unbelievers should affect how we pray for the lost. And we certainly should be doing that. We should ask God to shine his light, to bind the blinding of Satan, and to give faith to overcome the unbelief that invites the blinding. Paul knew what he was talking about when he wrote this. He himself had been completely blind to the truth, had he not? Until God broke through that darkness. In fact, when Paul first encountered Jesus, the Lord struck him with a literal blindness that was healed. And his eyes, both spiritually and physically, were opened to see the glory of Jesus Christ, as we read in Acts chapter 9. And So that brings us to, thirdly, the subject of the gospel. The subject of Paul's preaching was Jesus, not self. He said in verse 4, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord in ourselves, your servants. I should say verse 5. Verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord in ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Now notice there, first of all, For we preach not ourselves. Paul didn't climb into a pulpit. He didn't stand before an audience and preach about him. He wasn't important. He wasn't the focus. It was all about Jesus. And so he could strongly say, we do not preach ourselves. Instead, the focus needs to be on Christ Jesus, the Lord. He's the one to preach about. Now, not everyone who opens a Bible and starts talking is preaching Christ Jesus, the Lord. Many well-intentioned preachers are actually preaching themselves instead of Jesus. If the focus is on funny stories and touching experiences of the preacher, he may be preaching himself. You know, often people love it when the preacher preaches himself. It's revealing. It's intimate. Uh, Sometimes it's entertaining. It's also tempting for the preacher because he sees how people respond when he focuses the message on himself. But the bottom line is that the preacher himself can't bring people to God and save their eternal souls. Only Jesus can do that. So we must preach Jesus. Now, is it wrong for a preacher to tell a joke? No, not necessarily. Is it wrong to use a story about his own life as an illustration? No. But it's a matter of proportion. It's like asking, asking, is it all right to put salt in the soup? 
Of course. But you certainly don't want to put too much, do you? And if we, week after week, have too much of the preacher in the sermon, well, then we've got a problem. A.T. Robertson said preaching of oneself was surely as poor and disgusting a topic as a preacher can find. I think I agree with him. Don't we have a greater message than ourselves? It wasn't only that Paul did not preach himself, he also did not preach a gospel of moral reform. Didn't want to just get people reformed, get people to change their lives, give them a list of rules to, in order to be right with God. He preached Jesus Christ because only Jesus Christ can change a person from in, inside out. So we preach not ourselves. Secondly, but Christ Jesus the Lord. He preached Jesus. Paul's goal in preaching was to bring men to Jesus, not to make moral changes in men. To make the end of preaching the inculcation of virtue, to render men honest, sober, benevolent, and faithful, is part and parcel of that wisdom of the world that is foolishness with God. It is attempting to raise fruit without trees. When a man is brought to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and to love and worship him as such, then he becomes like Christ. What more can the moralist want? So we need to preach Jesus, Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul preached Jesus. Thirdly, ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. When Paul would present himself, this is how he did it. Not as a Lord, not as a master but simply as your servants for Jesus' sake. It's important that Paul also considered himself a servant of the Corinthian church for Jesus' sake. If it were for his own sake and for the sake of the Corinthian Christians themselves, it wouldn't last, but it'd turn into fleshly, uh, 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 fleshliness pretty easily. But Paul always served others for Jesus' sake. He did it primarily to please Jesus, not to please men. That brings us to verse 6, which is the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel. Verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So first of all, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Paul is saying the Lord God who created light in this physical world can fill your heart with spiritual light even if you're blinded by the God of this world. Satan's work of blinding is great but God's work of light is even greater. Paul is directly quoting the idea of Genesis 1 and verse 3. Then God said let there be light and there was light. Paul really believed the account of creation as described in Genesis chapter 1. Paul was not an evolutionist. He was a creationist. Genesis 1-3 says that God created light with a command. Paul believed that is exactly how it happened. For God commanded light to shine out of darkness. And secondly, has shined in our hearts... This verse describes Paul's own conversion very accurately from Acts chapter 9. On his way to Damascus to persecute and to kill Christians, suddenly a light shone round about him from heaven. This was the first encounter with Jesus in the life of the Saul of Saul of Tarsus. 
who later became the Apostle Paul. And this should be the good, a good way to describe every Christian. People with shining hearts. God shone in your heart, in my heart, if you know him tonight. And it will show in shining lives for Jesus Christ. He hath shined in our hearts. And thirdly, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. What exactly has God shown in our hearts? It is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Every Christian should have some knowledge of the glory of God. If one is a Christian and could say, I really don't know anything of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, then they should seek God earnestly and they ask him to shine in their heart to give us the light. God has given us the light of knowledge of God and we have the responsibility then to shine forth. I don't know as you were coming to church if you noticed that big shining ball in the sky. Our oldest daughter, who her and her husband celebrated their 17th wedding anniversary yesterday, but we remember, again, we remembered as we came to church, her sitting on that middle part of the, that folds down, the armrest. You know, back in the day, we didn't have to bolt them in or buckle them in. And she'd say, as she looked out there, look at the boon. Look at the boon. We looked at the moon tonight, and it was shining bright. Where'd that light come from? From the moon? No. From the sun. It shined. He shined. And we should shine it out like the moon shines. Instead of shining it on as some Christians do. Imagine a person in a sunny room who enjoys the sunshine, so he wants to keep it all to himself. So he says, I'll shut the curtain so no one can see the light. None of the light gets out. Well, when he shuts the curtains, he puts himself back in darkness. When we try to hoard up the light within ourselves, we certainly will lose it. And so he has given us light of the knowledge of the glory of God. He has shined it in so that we can shine it out. And notice then, in the face of Jesus Christ, we come to the knowledge of the glory of God by seeing it in the face of Jesus. God has given us a display, a picture, a representation of his glory, his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he hath seen me, hath seen the Father. He also prayed, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. This is the ministry that God has given to us. We have here a tremendous basis for ministry, the ministry of our church. And I think these verses are even worth meditating on and memorizing. I think sometimes we need to just stop and refocus our thoughts and our desires for the ministry of our church. In line with that, what we've looked at, I believe we should consider five 
goals, objectives, if you please. And I trust we'll keep these before ourselves this coming year. I may preach even on on them more. But if the Lord doesn't come back and take us out of this world, I believe we need to seriously consider these goals and objectives. They're on the back of your note sheet there. Especially those of you that are members of the Spooner Baptist Church family. It should be our desire to grow toward the fulfillment of them. Let me just go through them. I'm not going to expand on them tonight. This may come as something for later, but notice... The verse in John thirteen thirty five: By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. If we're going to shine for Jesus Christ, we're going to have to shine the light of Christ. And that involves loving one another. Now how do we do this? What are, what are the goals? Well, the first one is a spirit of humility in our lives and ministry. James 4, 6 says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. I think that's a worthy goal, a worthy objective, don't you? To have a spirit of humility in our lives and in this ministry. Secondly, a spirit of cooperation with one another, with an attitude of can-do, problem-solving. Not saying, well, oh, I don't think we can, we can do this. I don't think we can do that. I don't think we can solve this problem. We can if we have a spirit of cooperation. And we do as it tells us in Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Philippians 2 and verse 3. Notice thirdly, the good treatment of everyone by everyone. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. The fourth goal would be a spirit of genuineness and transparency with one another. Romans 12.9 says, let love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation, you know what that is? Hypocrisy goes on to say in James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And then a fifth goal, to communicate honestly, clearly, and often with one another. Ephesians 4.25, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Ephesians 4, uh, uh, also, I'm not keeping up with myself here. It says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. another. And so these are some goals, some objectives that I have uh, put before you this evening. And I trust that we'll keep them before our 
ourselves throughout this coming year. Because Spooner Baptist Church ought to be a place where all are welcome to hear the gospel message and the truths of God's word. Spooner Baptist Church, a place where no one measures up because all are saved by grace through faith. And Spooner Baptist Church, a place where every member is important and no member is more important. And then a place where the Great Commission is carried out. Seeing people saved, conversion, baptizing, and discipleship. And I trust as we think about these goals, these objectives, we'll keep them before ourselves and we'll think about them. We'll even maybe memorize some of these verses. And so that we can fulfill what God has given to us, seeing we have this ministry. God has given us a ministry and we need to do all that we can to honor him in the ministry we have. A little bit later this evening, I've even prepared a bookmarker for you. If you'd like to have one of these for your Bible, and then look at it. When you read your Bibles, go over it again. Remember what God has put before you. And make these things your goals, your objectives in the coming year. Let's pray. Father in heaven.